I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Dwight Merriman, co-founder of MongoDB, an open-source database company that focuses on helping companies manage their data in a more flexible, scalable way. Customers in MongoDB include the insurance company MetLife, Goldman Sachs, Facebook, and eBay, among several others. Dwight is also the co-founder of DoubleClick, the ad-serving platform that was acquired by Google for $3.1 billion in 2005. He's also co-founded the fashion e-commerce company Guilt Group and the news web platform Business Insider. Dwight is originally from Ohio and now lives in New York City where MongoDB is based. Welcome. Thank you. So how does MongoDB work? So MongoDB is a database. It's an open source database. This is a tool that uh, engineers, software engineers use to build systems, right, to store data in. The MetLife example is, you know, MetLife's a large company, right? So you have all these divisions, all these products, all these different types of insurance. And in that bigger company, how do you get a single view of all that information? So they're pulling in data from over 60 data sources internally into a single data store that's in MongoDB so that when you call in, the person you're talking to trying to help you can see everything. The thing about those 60 databases they're pulling things in from is those databases are constantly changing, right? Those teams are making upgrades to those apps, and when they do that, the, the data in the database, the shape of that data changes. And now how do I react to that? I've got 60 inbound data streams, but they're all fluid, if you will. And mm-hmm. it turns out with MongoDB, that's one thing it's very good at. Now, your experience at DoubleClick, which you co-founded in 1995, uh, established the germ for MongoDB. Um, can you talk about some of the frustrations that you were experiencing at DoubleClick? Yeah, so I was the tech guy. I was CTO there. So, you know, we're building this system. We're serving 20, 30 billion ads a day, like half a million ads a second. You know, so we have big scalability challenges to deal with. You know, one of the challenges was data. It's so much data that the traditional way to scale is what we call called vertically, which means just buy a bigger server, right? But there's a limit on how big you can go vertically mm-hmm. is a problem. And the other problem is those big servers are very expensive. So mm-hmm. what we really want to do is we want to do what people do today with cloud computing, which is to scale horizontally, which says, okay, I got a really big database. It won't fit on one server. Tie together 100 servers into one database system. So that was something we really wished we had back then. So there was all these sort of like homegrown solutions, but there wasn't really anything out there just for everyone to use. These are generally available products. At some point, myself and my uh, co-founders at Mongo, Elliot and Kevin, there's got to be a better way to do this. There needs to be a general solution to this. So we just started building something from scratch, which turned into MongoDB. Where does the name MongoDB come from? The idea was that uh, the word Mongo is the middle of the word humongous. And one of the key benefits of the product is this ability to uh, have big scale and and do big data, Mm -hmm. right? It also helps you um, do rapid application development very elegantly. But that it it, it comes from that humongous was sort of the, the pun there. 
MongoDB is open source, so developers are uh, welcome and invited to help shape the infrastructure of MongoDB. What is the catalyst for the open source movement more generally? I mean, I think of Wikipedia, for example, as being my first encounter with what open source means. It's actually, I think, a few things. One is, I think, the Free Software Foundation was a big proponent of this concept of free software, mm-hmm. which, you know, at first, when you never heard of it, it sounds a little silly. It's kind of like free cars or something. Right? But, but it actually turns out it does work. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Internet, I think, was a big catalyst because to, to do this sort of community collaboration, going back to the Wikipedia analogy, you, you need some way for all these people to talk to each other and they're not all in the same place. So the Internet facilitated open source, I think. And then another thing that helped a lot is actually IBM. In the early days of Linux, IBM came out and, and said, you know, we're going to invest a lot in Linux. And that was a big strategic decision by them. And that was a, that was a real milestone in open source, I think. I want to talk about funding for a moment. Uh, you know, you've raised several rounds of funding from venture capitalists like Sequoia and Union Square Ventures and NEA and Goldman and Salesforce. They're, they're investors. And in a way, people might be eager to, to jump in because it's kind of like by the guy. Uh, you've been successful in other ventures. Uh, you've raised so many rounds of capital. Can you talk to me a little bit about just that experience this time around? Yeah, and it's interesting because the, the VCs, they don't buy the guy. They generally look at three things, the product, the team, and the business plan. They are buying the guy in a sense that is the team good, right? It's not like you can go in and say, okay, I'm doing something new. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Would you like to invest? It, it was interesting because there was a point in time early on with MongoDB where I'm saying, you know, well, we have this new database. You know, it's not a relational database. It doesn't use SQL, which is the standard query language of everything else. But it's going to be extremely successful. You know, we're over 10 million downloads now. But at the time, you know, you're saying this and it's brand new. There's no metrics or anything yet. And they're just scratching their heads and they just don't understand, right? Um, And then so they don't invest, right? So what I found was because of having done something in the past that was successful is everyone would take my meeting. But then once they took the meeting... It didn't really affect the outcome. You know, they took the meeting, and then afterwards, you kind of realize there's very little chance they were going to do it. There's a little bit of an inefficiency there. Like, their their interest level is low, not high, or their intrigue, let's say, yet they take the meeting anyway. <laughs> you burn cycles on it. So that was... Mm-hmm. They're that really was on. amusing. And then, of course, then later, then it's different, right? Then it's a metrics-driven analysis, and then it, it, they're happy to invest. I want to talk about your personal life for a moment uh, to understand better how you became this serial entrepreneur, not just with MongoDB, but DoubleClick and Guild Group and Business Insider and Panther Express and, oh, what have I missed? Um, But you grew up in Ohio. Where in Ohio did you? In, In southwestern Ohio, rural. What did your parents do? My dad, he owned a commercial construction company. He did a lot of uh, actually commercial farm construction, things like grain elevators and grain bins and things that are 300 feet tall and things like that. So that was uh, that was what he did. And my mother was, she was at home. Do you have brothers or sisters? One of each. 
And what was uh, young Dwight Merriman like? Pretty nerdy. Mm -hmm. uh, I got my first computer when I was 14. Before that, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in life. But once I got a computer and used it for a day, it was pretty clear to me I knew what I wanted to do. So what happened then is I, I ended up then just teaching myself to program and spending most of my free time fooling with the computer hmm. in, say, high school. What else did you enjoy doing aside from being with your computer? <laughs> that was my main hobby, other than all the little random things one does at that age, including, you know, video games, things like that. You had your first job uh, with a company called Intercomputer Communications uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the founder of the company is this guy, Kevin O'Connor. You followed Kevin to Atlanta, and you and he came up with this idea for DoubleClick. Can you talk about uh, how you, you and he decided to start this company? At that time, I was thinking, well, you know, I, I think I'd like to do a startup at some point. So maybe now is a good time. At this point, I was pretty young. So we started that summer of uh, 1995. We, uh, we met once a week and brainstormed just ideas in Atlanta. And by the end of the summer, we had a list or a spreadsheet with 100 ideas on it. Most of them are internet-related because to us it was clear internet was a big trend at that point. And the one we picked was this concept of an internet advertising network. You know, here's this big trend, the internet. You know, you're going to have millions of sites, millions of advertisers. You know, how does that work? You know, there's, there's too many parties on both sides for them to just talk to each other manually. We need some kind of system mm -hmm. and technology to do this. You know, there's got to be an economic model for this internet thing. You know, how are these sites going to pay the bills? And at that point in time, it wasn't clear what that economic model was going to be. You know, would it be subscription, you know, or would it be something else like maybe advertising? And that back then, actually, it looked more like subscription, you know, because you think about things like AOL mm -hmm. was a subscription and you got both access and content. So, we ended up kind of going a different way and saying, well, actually, I think advertising would work. And, and the interesting thing is at the time is that Kevin O'Connor and myself, neither of us knew anything whatsoever about advertising. Actually, he went to the library and got a basically a textbook on advertising and sat down and read it. What were one or two things that really worked that you got right, would you say? Yeah, so there, there were a couple key decisions that if we got them wrong, it would have not worked. One big decision was, I remember, uh, we went to meet with, with Dow Jones, Wall Street Journal, because they have a website, right? And so we go in and say, well, join the network. We'll sell your ads for you. And, and their response was, uh, well, we, we, we want to ha sell ads on our website, so we do have a need, um, but we've been selling advertising for 100 years. Can we just buy the technology? So this created an interesting question then, is like, all right, what is your answer to that question? This is the kind of secret sauce of the ad network, you know, because there was competitors out there at this point. If there's a differentiation, it's on the technology. So to then unbundle it and sell it to anyone, um, you're, you're cannibalizing yourself, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So we decided uh, to do it. We took the underlying technology of it, Dart, 
and we sold it. We made it available for sale to anyone who wanted to sell ads themselves. And and so that unbundling was a big decision, and it was sort of a key decision because in the end, the reason it was valuable was because it was an internet advertising technology product. There wasn't a lot of value in the ad network in the end. Thank you, Dow Jones Wall Street Journal, because had you not had that meeting, I mean, you might have come to that decision at some point, Yeah. but interesting that a customer asked you for it, and yeah. that's, that was the, the inspiration for that pivot. Yeah. You are married uh, to a woman, Jody Richard. At what point in all of this uh, business creation did you meet her? I met her at my first job, so before DoubleClick. How did you meet? At work. <laughs> oh, she worked there. She worked there, so we were in the mm-hmm. same office, so it's mm-hmm. very easy. And she herself is an intra- entrepreneur of sorts. Uh, she started uh, with you a restaurant in New York called Atera, which is a 18-seat, uh, two-Michelin-star restaurant that serves you know, an 18- to 20-course tasting menu. Uh, was that her initiation, or are you both uh, interested in, in food and wine and... It was her doing. We're both interested in food and wine. It's a hobby for us. Um, so, But it's 99% her and sort of like 1% me. Kevin Ryan is somebody whom you met at DoubleClick, and he has been a partner through many of your startups since DoubleClick. Why do you think you and he work so well? We work extremely well together and are extremely complimentary, uh, and it's just uh, completely random. It seems like 98, 99% of the time we agree on things, which mm-hmm. is rare. That's not essential with a business partner, but it, it creates huge efficiency. And then also, I think just we do get along great and and our skill sets are complementary because, you know, uh, Kevin is, is a, a business guy um, by background and I'm a tech guy by background. And over time, we're both learning a little bit about the other sides. He's typically the on the front uh, end of the company, if you will, and you're you know behind the scenes, kind of making it work. Yeah, it, that's especially true at um, at DoubleClick, where I was CTO. You know, at MongoDB, uh, for the first five years or so, I was CEO. So that is more outward facing, but. But fundamentally, I'm an introvert, so I, I just like to build things. So here's this boy from Ohio uh, whose father works in construction, in rural construction, and here you are in 2005, 10 years after you start DoubleClick, you know, experiencing a sale to Google. What went on personally through that? This actually played out over quite a bit of time, yes. right? So from... From Ohio till the company was sold was kind of fifteen-ish years, but there were there were kind of milestones, you know. Just mm-hmm. just deciding to move to Atlanta was a decision, mm-hmm. you know. When you're twenty-one-ish, you know, deciding to do a startup was a decision. Yeah, a big decision, you know, deciding to move to New York. And we decided just, well, let's go where the customers are. And then one of the key things at DoubleClick as we started getting bigger is is that the, the entire engineering staff was reporting to me. I had three or 400 people working for me. I had to learn how, how to manage large teams like that. So that was, 
very challenging, you know, not something I ever envisioned myself doing or, or as a goal. One other thing that was obviously a huge challenge for us kind of in, along that kind of timeline at, at DoubleClick was just the sort of dot-com bust or the 2001 and the NASDAQ crashing and 70% of our customers going out of business. When 70% of your customers disappear, you know, that's a problem. So we had, you know, we had to kind of manage our way through that. I feel like there was one year where it was the majority of my time was just kind of working on retention and morale. And having to let people go. Yeah, a lot of people, yeah. I want to talk about some of your other startups for a moment. You don't have a background in fashion. Uh, How did you land on Gilk Group and Business Insider? Yeah, so so with Gilt, which sells mainly um, like high-end fashion apparel at great prices online and has this concept of flash sales at noon, Kevin, I think, was the first one to bring up the idea and, and throw it out to me. One thing we were looking at was there was a company in Europe, Vent Privé, which was successful doing something kind of similar, but in, in, in Europe and in France. And, and then we thought, and we were like, well... Would something like that make sense here? There's a lot of uh, retailing online. There's a lot of e-commerce. But it feels like there's some gaps, some things that aren't bought a lot online, one of them being clothing, and another one being just the things that are on sale. You know, Kevin and I are working on multiple projects at this time, right? Mm -hmm. So if we did a new company, what we would do is, you know, we would basically hire a founding team which was Alexis and Alexandra. You know, they were there day one, effectively, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but this conversation about the idea mm-hmm. and, like, let's do this came previous. And Business Insider, similar, came up with the idea and then founding team yeah. that you hired to go ahead and, and yeah. launch it. Right. So Business Insider, we talked to Henry Blodgett, and he, was really, he liked the idea, so he came in as founder and CEO. What makes you relax? What do you enjoy doing outside of work? I like to ski. That's something we can do as a family because the kids ski. Two so, girls. And it, yeah. So I, I like it. You know, if, if, if one can afford it, it's a little expensive, but you're outside and everyone is actually kind of interested in what's going on. You have uh, two girls, and I asked you before, you know, what your parents did and what influence they might have had on you. What might one of your girls say about you? What do you think they they might say about you in a similar interview 10, 20 years from now? Well, my older daughter likes to say that I invented the pop-up ad, hmm. which is... Uh, <laughs> Which is actually not true, <laughs> but and 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 in part she's saying that to try to annoy me because uh, Papa Bats are annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they would say something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Dwight Merriman. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. From Scratch.